Hello and welcome. This is Dr. Christine Sauer for Your Quality of Life, Healthy Alternatives. And today I'm so happy to have Dr. Bill Harris on my show. Now, who is Dr. Harris? He is an internationally recognized expert on omega-3 fatty acids and their health benefits. And he's a PhD that he obtained in human nutrition from the University of Minnesota. And he also did a postdoctoral fellowship in clinical nutrition and lipid metabolism. And you have done extensive research on lipids, what we call fat, <laughs> and on fatty acids and the metabolism of people, and especially on the influence of omega-3 fatty acids and others on our health. You're also the co-inventor of the omega-3 index that I use every day with my clients, and the current president and founder of the Fatty Acid Research Institute, as well as the founder of Omega Quant. Welcome to the show, Bill. I'm so happy to have you on. Thanks, Christine. Great, great to be here. Real privilege. Thank you so much. And as a brain health and mental health coach myself, I'm obviously the most interested about how omega-3s, or better the lack thereof, influences brain and mental health. Yeah. And there, that is kind of a late comer to the omega-3 story, of course. It all began with cardiovascular health. Uh, and, but I think the, what sort of drew, drew people's attention was the realization that so much of the polyunsaturated fatty acid structure of the brain uh, includes well, omega-3. Well, it's, it's perfectly fine when you just say a little bit about how omega-3s uh, have evolved over the year, the knowledge about it, because I know you have done extensive work on cardiovascular health. Also, right. some people will know about omega-3s and heart health. So it's perfectly fine to elaborate a little bit about that. And then when we how we started about the brain. Good. Okay. That's great. So I, I appreciate that. I, I, so just a quick primer on omega-3s and their evolution uh, pretty much discovered in the 1970s by uh, Danish investigators who studied uh, Greenland Eskimos. And uh, they were puzzled by the uh, conundrum that the, these Eskimos ate what looked to be a terribly high fat, high calorie or a high cholesterol, high saturated fat diet, but had uh, very little uh, risk for acute coronary uh, syndromes or heart attacks. Uh, so they studied them, studied their diet, and studied their blood and found out there was these really odd fatty acids floating around their blood, which turned out to be EPA and DHA that came from the foods they were eating, the seafood. And then some laboratory experiments showed that EPA and DHA were actually converted into some really important anti-cardiovascular disease molecules, you know, things that would prevent the platelets from clotting, for example, which would prevent a heart attack. Um, reduced lower triglyceride levels in the blood, things like that. So for many years, the omega-3 stories revolved around effects on cardiovascular disease. But uh, in a parallel track, uh, people who were studying the brain, particularly studying human development, uh, the growth of the baby and, and uh, in the early in utero and, and after birth, realized that the brain was rich in DHA. <clears throat> and if it's there, it's there for a reason. And so that brought the idea and it kind of left and went from below the neck to above the neck 
to the the head part. And people have been the people who are experts and then brain health started studying omega three to uh, understand what the DHA is doing there, and also to to really confirm that there's a relationship between the amount of DHA or omega-3 in, in the brain or in the blood, which is much more easy to measure, of course, and uh, a variety of, of cognitive issues, whether it be depression, whether it be bipolar, whether it be uh, loss of cognitive function with aging, dementia. So the, the, all those areas are exploding now. And that is, that is really fascinating, but omega-3 fatty acids and the omega-3 index or the balance of fats generally in the body has a much wider implication. And Dr. Amen, uh, my, my mentor, I'm on his teaching team, he always says, what's good for the brain is good for the heart, is good for the penis. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's also good for the eyes and it's also good for the skin. And maybe you should say about five minutes about what else is a good omega-3 ratio good for. Well, yeah, <laughs> not sure we can cover all of those topics. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's pretty broad, but I, I, like, I like that little aphorism. Um, and I, I think it's true. There, there's something about having a high omega-3 that is just generally good for health. I mean, it's good for just living longer. I mean, we've, we published a, a big study this year uh, looking at over 40,000 people and the people who ha had the highest omega-3 levels uh, live longer. They just and didn't healthier. die. Yeah, it wasn't just heart disease. They, they were less likely to have cancer, die from cancer, less likely to die from heart disease, less, die, less likely to die from everything else. What about dementia? I mean, that's a big concern for many people as they age. Did you see oh, that in the study that they had less likelihood of getting dementia? That is our, our hope to do an, uh, the next study on that. It's a different endpoint, so it's a different analysis. So our, our, the group that does these studies uh, is now going to focus on, on dementia. We, we actually have a paper uh, that's not, the, the paper I just described was in 17, different cohorts, different populations of people that had all been studied and we pooled it all together. Um, we have a, a paper we're working on right now looking in just one of those cohorts called the Framingham study, the yeah. Framingham heart study, a, a very well-known cohort of study. And we're seeing, uh, again, confirming that the, the people that had the highest DHA, le DHA levels in their red blood cells so the, back to kind of the omega-3 index, maybe I should just diverge quickly say what that is. But the omega-3 index is a marker of omega-3 status in your body, and it's measured in red blood cell membranes. And we, we chose the red cell membrane because the red, it's the most common cell in the, it's not only the most common cell in the blood, it's the most common cell in the body. 80, something like 83% of the cells in the body are red blood cells. Of our own cells, when you exclude the gut microbiome and all the others. Well, those, yeah, they, they, those aren't really you. Yeah. <laughs> they, they haven't got your DNA. Okay, yeah. so if you exclude those guys, yes. Just having fun. Uh, yeah, that is good. That's a good point, though. Um, always good to bring it back to that. So in any event, we measure the red cell omega-3 levels, EPA and DHA. And that's what the omega-3 index is. And so it goes from roughly 2% and really low people up to 
10 or 12 percent and people are very high. Uh, we like to see it over 8 percent. That's sort of our, our goal, our target. And that's for not only cardiovascular health, but I think for health across the board. <clears throat> um, that's the omega-3 index. We're in this back to the study in Framingham on dementia. Uh, we were focused on red blood cell DHA, particularly, which is about 85% of the omega-3, uh, of the EPA-DHA ratio. 85% is a DHA, 15% EPA in red cells as a rule. Um, and so to the extent that uh, people have a high level of DHA in their red cells means that they have high DHA levels in all their tissues. Uh, we really don't know yet that that means they have a high DHA in their brain because that's, that study is very difficult to do, to get the, blood, the brain tissue and the blood tissue at the same time and be able to measure the omega-3 count. Yeah, that's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, you certainly. need somebody to die really to get brain tissue. Yeah, right. That's tricky. <laughs> but we are finding, and we haven't published this yet, but that a higher red blood cell DHA does predict a lower risk for total dementia and Alzheimer's disease, uh, per se. And it seems like it's more that the impact is bigger on people that have that primary genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, which is called ApoE4. Um, and so people that have the E4 seem to have a, a seems to be a more protective effect of a high omega-3 in those people. But again, the paper hasn't been submitted or gone under peer review. Fascinating, fascinating prospect and hope for the future, because that is really not that hard to do when you think about it. Now, let's, no, go, let's go back to the basics a little bit for sure. what the listeners and viewers already know. In, in, in nutrition, how can people get their omega-3s? Where do, do the fats really come from? And why are so many people low in them? Yeah, bottom line is because you get them from what you eat. Uh, and although we can make, to a very small extent, we can make EPA and DHA from other fats, from vegetable fats, alpha-linolenic ALA is the precursor fatty acid, but it's very, very poorly converted to EPA and DHA. So the best way to get EPA and DHA is to eat them directly. And the source of EPA and DHA is primarily uh, seafood and it's oily fish like salmon is one of the very best. Uh, mackerel, herring, sardines, albacore tuna, white tuna are high omega-3 fish. Um, there's a lot of fish that have very little omega-3 actually. So people have to, you know, Tilapia, for example, or cod are fish that have very low amounts of omega-3 in their flesh. What about cod, course, seafood like mussels, lobster? I live in Nova Scotia, so many people love lobster, crabs, shrimp, all the good seafood. Yeah, the crustaceans, right. And, and some of them, they're not particularly rich. Uh, you really need an oily uh, a, a, a seafood that stores or a a fish that stores its fat in the flesh, not in the liver. Like so herring does. would be better to eat or eat sardines. <laughs> well, they're kind of on the, upon a par. They're, those are part of the, the best group, herring and sardines. Um, yeah, and again, salmon, mackerel. Um, yeah, salmon is, is a little bit problematic sometimes because of all the toxins that are sometimes in it. Especially in what in time? Salmon. 
the fountain well, that, can contain a lot of toxins as you well know. that's about 10 years old now and, and that study caused a big splash um okay uh, saying that they were loaded with toxins um unfortunately well but part of it was true and part of it was because the food that they were feeding the salmon the farm salmon came okay. from uh, small fish in polluted waters um, the industry has cleaned that up tremendously now, so that's awesome. not a problem now. Uh, the the problem with salmon now is that uh, the cost of fish oil, because the salmon have to be fed EPA and DHA, uh, like we do, to have good health, and so they get it from their diet. So when you farm salmon, or you, you I guess, you, I don't like the term farming, it's really more ranching. You know, it's an animal inside a fence, right? Right. It's, it's not something growing out of the ground. Uh, in any event, when you ranch salmon, um, they feed them omega-3 in the pellets, but it's expensive okay. because there's such a demand for omega-3 now. So they're, they're starting to substitute vegetable oils for salmon, for fish oil. And it's, it's the fish are still able to do pretty good, uh, but there's less omega-3. I mean, still, salmon is still one of the best okay. omega-3 sources. Uh, it's just not what it was 20 years ago. So that's good to know because many people here enjoy their salmon and it is very popular. So it's still one of the best sources for omega-3. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that is very important, especially for Nova Scotia, because there are some people who say, oh my God, you can't eat found or uh, whatever you call it, uh, uh, a salmon. And uh, no, it's not true. That's good to know. Right. That's uh, not true. Let me ask you, there's people that are, for whatever reason, vegetarians or vegans and refuse to eat omega-3s from animal source. Now, there is a lot of movement towards either flux or krill oil, uh, not krill oil, plankton, phytoplankton. Do you have any, uh, any knowledge about that? Yeah, and... When you say phytoplankton, the other word for it basically is uh, uh, microalgae, because these are, are plant, th these are single celled organisms that live in the ocean that are really the engines that in nature make EPA and DHA from sunlight. And that's where it starts. And then it's the, you know, the, the, the tiny fish eat the microalgae and then the big fish eat the little fish and up it mm -hmm. goes on the food chain. So salmon, none of the fish make much omega-3, kind of like us. Okay. They're not good synthesizers of it, they eat it. And so, yeah, uh, many companies uh, uh, starting many years ago have said, well, well, let's skip the fish. Let's just grow the algae. Uh, and the specific strains of algae, not all microalgae make omega-3, certain, certain species do. They were discovered, they were not genetically modified. Yeah. Right? This, and now they're making algal DHA and algal EPA and putting them in products. And you can buy those for vegans or vegetarians or people who are just, it's more expensive because it's a more difficult uh, process. But it is certainly more friendly to the uh, to the stocks of fish in, in the ocean, and I think the day will come that we will have ways if we can get past the GMO fear uh, of growing land plants like soybeans, like canola, uh, land plants that make oils 
and we can put the genes into them that make EPA and DHA, and we'll be able to essentially have an infinite supply without having to kill any fish at all. I, I, I think that's probably the future. That's an interesting perspective. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if then still is everything in it that we need for nutrition, because there's, of course, as you're aware, well aware, there are so many other substances that we need as humans, but it's, it's probably a source for that. Are there yeah. any studies that you're aware of, of vegans or vegetarians uh, raising their omega-3 index purely with uh, those microalgae derived products? Yeah, yeah, we... We did one, oh, maybe seven years ago, where we gave a algal DHA to vegans. And the vegans, we measured their omega-3 index at baseline to be before the study. They were at something like 3.4%, which is about the, one of the lowest we've seen mm -hmm. for a group of people. Uh, the only other group of people that have an omega-3 index around 3.5% like that is uh, U.S. military uh, personnel deployed to Iraq <laughs> who are eating terrible. You know, they're eating military food in deployment, and we measured their omega-3 index. It was about the same as the vegans, um, and it's not because these soldiers are vegan. Uh, it's because they're just not getting any omega-3 in their diet. Um, so we started with a, a group of like 160 vegans, and we gave them the DHA product from uh, algae and it raised their omega-3 index just as you would expect it would, uh, just fine. So it's a matter of dose, how much you take and it, your O3, omega-3 index will go up. Now that's really fascinating. Now, omega-3s, as you said, they play an important role all over the body. Actually, they are part of every cell membrane, if I get that right. That's right. What happens yeah. to the cell membrane when the omega-3 is low because somebody is living purely off what was widely recommended vegetable oils? Mm -hmm. What happens is that the cell membrane is less, uh, less flexible. I mean, I, th I think it's, this is kind of hard for people to get their head around to imagine or, or picture, but the cell membrane is an incredibly finely tuned, highly designed biologic structure with, with hundreds of proteins in it that are all buried in this membrane. And the proteins have to move and twist and to, to uh, contort in order to uh, serve their proper function of allowing things in and allowing things out of the cell. It's the gatekeeper of the cell. And if the membrane around these proteins is, is really stiff and unbending, then it makes it harder for these proteins to actually scoot around and do the things they need to do. So if you have a high enough omega-3, then the membrane gets more fluid, more flexible, and the protein is able to actually do its job in the cell membrane. And that's a rather vague, but they kind of high level view of what the omega-3s do. In so maybe in very layman's term, we can say the more flexible the cell membrane is, the easier the nutrients come in and out of the cell. So the good stuff gets yeah. in and you have more energy, can think better, and the bad sure. stuff gets back out. So and the, the waste, get the waste stuff it. gets out. Right, right. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, make it easy for because some people are very highly educated like us and understand all the difficult stuff and other people like it in a very bite-sized easy to understand form so and that's now, fine how about the omega-3s and the brain we know there's a very tight brain blood barrier 
Yeah. How does omega-3 get into the brain and what does it do there? Well, it, it, current theories are, the, the current understanding is that the omega-3s get into the brain through a specific one of these proteins I talked about that's in a membrane in the blood-brain barrier that transports a DHA, a specific form of DHA across the blood-brain barrier into the brain. Um, and that's just been discovered in the last few years uh, that it exists, that there's an actual transporter for DHA. Um, there was a, a nice paper published recently saying that people who have a higher omega-3 index, basically blood level omega-3, have when they when the investigators studied the blood-brain barrier of those people, the barrier was a, a was more intact, less likely to be leaky, uh, more uh, it was able to really function more properly as a as the blood-brain barrier, which keeps out a lot of bad stuff from your brain. Uh, and so that, that study was, uh, I think I have it up here in my a group from uh, Loma Linda, actually. Uh, first author was Barnes. Uh, healthy, it's, the, the title was Blood-Brain Barrier Integrity is Higher in People with High Omega-3. Uh, so that's part of the reason the omega-3s are helpful for brain health. Wow. Now they do actually get into the brain, right? And help those brain cells get the fluidity we need to think better. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Thank you yeah. for that. Now, let me ask you, how is it with kids? Do we have any studies with kids? If that many kids nowadays are not only depressed or sad or anxious, but also have a tension problem? Yeah. And, and there have been studies and more coming, uh, particularly in, a, in ADHD, attention yeah. deficit, right, hyperactivity syndrome. Um, those kids continually are being found to have lower omega-3 levels than other kids, same age, who don't have the problem. That doesn't mean the omega-3 is causing it, the lack of omega-3, uh, just because there's a difference. It's consistent with that idea. Uh, what's important is to show that if you give omega-3 to these kids, it improves their, uh, their attention. And there's studies that show that. There's studies that haven't shown that, too. Uh, so it goes kind of both ways. Yeah, we there's need... always the science. It takes a while until the studies all come up, and then it's a predominance of the studies on one side, right? Right, right. And you got to design the study right. You got to give it the right dose. You have to give it the right amount of time. You have to give it at the right time of brain development. You know, maybe you need to give it when they're two years old to prevent a eight-year-old from having ADHD. And giving wow. it to an eight-year-old eight may not help. I mean, that could be. Maybe you have to get it to the pregnant mo mother. Start at nine months early, right. Minus nine. That's a good time to start your How omega How about minus 12? <laughs> yeah, before conception. Yeah, <laughs> probably. It would be interesting. It would be interesting. Yeah. Because really the quality of the male sperm and the quality of the DNA and the eggs, does it have anything to do with omega-3s? Yeah, I mean, there have been not much done in that area, but there's a, there's a group that's in Tehran, Iran, oddly enough, that is kind of very focused on omega-3 and sperm health. Done a lot of studies on it, and it, it certainly plays a role in sperm health. Um, yeah, whether that translates into, you know, 
development of the, of the newly fertilized egg better. Uh, actually, there's some studies that show that women who are, are couples that are trying to use IVF, um, if they take, have higher omega-3 levels before they start the process, they're a little more successful. And, wow. you know, which is, that's an area that needs more study. But the, the idea is, is cool and makes sense. And it's certainly, people in that IVF world are, are desperate yeah. to have a successful pregnancy. And so anything you can do to improve that would be helpful, especially something as safe and uh, natural as omega-3. Really, that is, that is a fascinating thing because when you consider every cell needs it. So anything right. that's involved with cells, uh, and I don't know anything in our body that isn't, would benefit in some way. Oh, right, right, exactly. What about mitochondria? Do they benefit from uh, omega-3s? Do we know? Uh, yeah, people have studied that. I, I, I need to go back and review it. Um, mitochondria or the energy producing uh, organ or organelle or a subset of the cell and, and very important in cell health. I, and there have been, I noticed people studied it. I just, I haven't reviewed it and kind of gotten summarized in my brain. It's a big field. I mean, just keeping up with omega-3, you know, is keeps me busy all the time. Really no one in our time can keep up with what's going on in science anymore. We are all... Uh, have to look at what others that are more experts in that field can say about it, isn't that true? Yeah. And, and some of us experts in that field are absolutely idiots in other fields, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, we know more, know more than anybody else, you know, just being smart in one thing doesn't make you smart in everything. Yeah, sometimes it's really hard to keep the overview, isn't it? Even yeah. for a specialist that is really an expert in their field like yourself. So That's no right. worries, we'll find out eventually. But uh, there is EPA and DHA in a mitochondrial membranes too, is it? Oh, it's there. Yes, no question about that. It's, it's, it's just how don't have, it's yeah, okay, awesome. That is fascinating. So probably if they more free, it's just a probably, it's just my idea that we might have better energy if our mitochondrial membranes function better. So the stuff can get better in and better out. Hmm. It's a very reasonable hypothesis. <laughs> now, let me ask you one last question. When somebody wants to raise their omega-3 levels, some mm -hmm. people will say, oh, the best way to do it is with food. And generally, it is always the best way to get your nutrition as much as you can by food. But often that's not sufficient. Uh, what are all the ways that do you think are the best ways to raise it and how to, to determine how much to take? Yeah, great question. Very good question. So, yes, uh, first of all, I agree with your first point. Um, anybody with a nutrition background would, would say, you know, in this particular case, Fish is the best way to get omega-3 into your body. And I think that's true, partly because of all the other good nutrients that come along with fish, besides just omega-3. They aren't just omega-3 that swim, right? I mean, they a lot of good nutrients. And plus, when you're eating fish, there's a lot of things you're not eating, um, which keeps some other bad foods perhaps off your plate. Like donuts. For, for example, <laughs> most, most people don't eat salmon instead of donuts but no that's true take your point <laughs> um so assuming you you can't either because you had don't have, don't have a taste for fish and that's developed very early um or the fish is not available or we have uh, difficulties in getting fresh fish to a lot of people 
uh, supplements are a way to go. And there's nothing wrong with using supplements. Uh, and when I say supplements, I mean, you know, EPA plus DHA, fish oil, krill oil is a, a fine omega-3 supplement. The algal oils are, are good supplements for omega-3, different prices for these things, you know, um, but they're all good for raising your omega-3 index. How to know how much to take? It's a great question. Uh, we published a paper a couple of years ago looking at that. Um, and it looks like if you take the stereotypical person who's got an omega-3 index of 4%, 4 or 5%, which is pretty typical of the West, uh, it takes about 1,500 milligrams of EPA and DHA combined. And whether it's you know, a little heavier on DHA, a little heavier on EPA doesn't make a lot of difference. Uh, but 1,500 milligrams is a good ballpark target area to take that 4 to 5% omega-3 index up to 8%, which is our target. What is time frame? Because I've heard once a saying, an oil change in the brain takes four months. <laughs> Well, an oil change in the red blood cell, a complete oil change uh, takes four months because the red blood cells all, you have a new crop, completely new crop every four months. Um, but your, blood, your red blood cell levels will go up faster. I mean, you, you'll, it'll go, you need, it'll do that. So I think three to four months, you should be able to see a change. Uh, you would definitely see a change if you went uh, started adding 1500 milligrams of EPA and DHA to your diet. Mm -hmm. If you, and a fine point is there's ethyl ester forms of omega-3 and there's triglyceride slash phospholipid forms of omega-3. And it's the ethyl esters are not quite as well absorbed. And so you have to kind of take more of the ethyl ester form than you do the triglyceride or phospholipid form. Well, that's interesting. But that's often the supplement that one chemical form is more effective than another one. Yeah, not a surprise. Right. No. Uh, question for you. As the head of Omega Corner, I know you have a great Omega calculator actually on your website uh, that tells you how much you should take with a given starting level. How often do you recommend people have their Omega-3 index checked or check their Omega-3 index? Well, I would say twice a year twice a year once you know once you're you know do a baseline and then take more omega-3 and then double check it and then after that's if you continue taking the same dose your level will stay the same yeah it's just that people being people they drift off and you know they forget to buy a bottle and you know and forget to take it you know how people are yeah, people so, forget a lot that might be important yeah. for them. I understand right. that. That is really a very fascinating review. Now I know you as head of Omega Quant, you just released other blood tests uh, or finger prick tests that are easy to do and very important. Want to say a few words about that? I would be happy to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I think a couple of, if we go back to the human development, the brain area, we're very interested in helping uh, Babies be born healthy, and so that means mom has to be healthy. So we have what we call our prenatal DHA blood tests, which, uh, again, is a finger prick test. It's, you collect a sample at home and mail it in, uh, and we get the we can tell mom what their, their, what her DHA level is in the blood when she's pregnant, and we have certain recommended levels that we think you should be above uh, over 5% red cell DHA is our target. And that really is for 
um, the best evidence is that's for reducing risk for preterm birth. Wow. It also has a lot of other benefits for the baby, but uh, that's wow. there. We also have a, a mother's milk test. So mom can put a drop of breast milk on a card, just like she would put a drop of blood on a card. Uh, mailed in, we'll tell her how much DHA is in her milk. And again, there are target values for that. So those are, I think, important tests that uh, for the early, early stage in life. Um, we also have tests that are simply similar to the omega-3 index test where we tell you how much trans fatty acids you have in your blood. We want to, of course, keep that very low. Yeah, and I must say the complete omega-3 index with the lipid acid profile is very important because uh, there's some evidence that certain linoleic acid may not be so beneficial for your health if you have too much of it. And it measures it. It gives you it a percentage. It measures your, right, right, right. And linoleic acid, it's a long discussion. <laughs> did you see the trans fat index generally go down after trans fats were outlawed? Oh, yeah. If you look over the last decade yeah. and just look at the average amount of trans fats in the blood, it's been good. Going down. That's a positive. Hey, it's a positive. And actually, if you track it with the rate of, of cardiovascular disease in the U.S., they track down together in a very interesting way. Yeah. And I, I was interested to see lately that you also released a vitamin D test and a vitamin yes. D12 test, which are both extremely important for brain health, not just for brain health, but it's good for the brain, it's good for the body, of course. Right, right. Yeah, th those are brand new. Well, vitamin D is not brand new. Uh, it's been a couple of years, but uh, our, um, our, it's not, we're not measuring B12 per se. We're measuring one of the metabolites of B12 that tells you about how your status of B12 is. And it's a urinary, that's the first urine test that we're doing. Um, so different collection right systems. Yeah. Still done at home. Yeah. I think more and more people are learning about it, especially now when we have the pandemic going on. And vitamin D status is really important for general health, for brain health, immune health, and also for heart health and general health. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But so nutrition I mean, and vitamin D and omega-3 are some of the easiest um, nutrients to measure their status in the blood. Some like, like vitamin C or vitamin B2 or something like that. Or it's hard to measure their status because mm -hmm. what's in the blood us. doesn't necessarily apply what's in the tissues. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's Magnesium really, is like that. that is so important. What yeah. you're working on is one of the most important areas, I think of medicine in these times and for the future. So I'm very grateful that you agreed to come on the show and share it with the wider audience. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And that wraps it up for today. And uh, all the best. Same to you. All the and viewers. Happy holidays. And all for that. the next episode. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.